very excited because this is the beginning of what we call Passion Week. Now, I talk a good bit about words like passion and intimacy. And I want us to think about that because, unfortunately, because of mankind and sinfulness, those two words, passion and intimacy, sometimes they've gotten a bad reputation. And I don't want that when it comes to the Lord and with loving him and loving his people and loving your mate and loving your family because we are given the spirit of passion and intimacy. Passion means to be thrilled and excited about the love that we share with each other. Intimacy is to be involved and to be close and to learn and to get better and better and better at the love that we share with each other. So shouldn't we be passion and intimate? Of course. And this is the Passion Week. And we see Jesus Christ going through and we remember and we honor and we celebrate because of our love for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not making announcements when I say all this, but I'm just going to tell you that in the next few days, we have several opportunities to be passionate and intimate with our Lord. We've already started right here today. Just wonderful worship and saying our love to him. And yet, we're coming up on other days. And I want to tell you that Thursday night at 7 o'clock, all of us have the opportunity to go to the upper room and to remember. And I just pray that you will be here. Because now the upper room here is located at the back of the building. It's called Harvest Hall. But we're going to gather there this evening, I mean that evening, and we're going to remember Jesus Christ when he was in the upper room and we're going to have the Lord's Supper and we're going to hear the words of Jesus and we're going to celebrate and we're going to remember and remember and remember Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. So that will be a very special time of gathering. And then on Friday, those of you that can come, we're going to spend about 30 minutes right here in the sanctuary looking at the cross and we're just going to reflect and we're going to think about the fact on Friday midday that Jesus is on the cross because that's when he was there and that's going to be a time of real quiet solemn reflection but special for me I'm looking forward to it I pray special for you. And then when we come to Sunday morning, oh my goodness, we're going to celebrate the fact that he is alive. Amen? You bet. And that is to be celebrated and to remember, be remembered and to be honored because I promise you, that he said it is finished and he walked out of the grave with a godly smile on his face because he knew that he had taken care of you and me and he had won the victory. So next Sunday morning, we come to Resurrection Day. Now, for today...
there's some special things that I want and I believe that Jesus wants to share with you and me because it's Palm Sunday and we know that the week before or right at the beginning of the week of his crucifixion and then resurrection on resurrection day that he came into the city of Jerusalem and there are several things about this coming in he didn't say a lot in this passage of scripture in this story but I want to propose to you that he definitely preached a sermon he preached a sermon even through some words but then also just through his actions through the what he demonstrated in this story so I'm going to share some of that with you and I'm going to remind you and I'm going to tell you some of what it means to me and also what I'm impressed that he would want to say to me and to you through this story that we've read already some of it and I will share some more but it says as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives he sent two of his disciples saying to them go to the village ahead of you and as you enter you will find a donkey tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the donkey, its owner asked them, why are you untying this animal? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the donkey, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, a question to you. Why in the world is Jesus on a donkey? And have you ever known of Jesus riding a donkey? Except in this one place. I can't find it anyplace else. Now, other rulers and other kings had ridden donkeys in their scripture passages. But not for Jesus. How did Jesus get around? He walked. He always walked. But now on this very special day, just a few days before he's taken to the cross, he's on a donkey. Now there is an answer to that that is very powerful and very demonstrative of who Jesus is because in the book of Zechariah, in the ninth chapter, this is what verse 9 says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey. This in Zechariah is what's called a messianic prophecy. And in Luke 19 that we're celebrating today. Jesus is fulfilling the Messianic prophecy. So what does that say? What is Jesus saying to the people? All the people along the roadside there, they knew this passage from Zechariah. They knew that that passage says that the Messiah is going to come for the people riding on a donkey. <laughs> and so that's what this is about. And it's not only that, but there's more. Because Zechariah 9, verse 10 goes on to say, 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. So in Zechariah 9.10, we see that Jesus, the Messiah, is proclaiming peace. He's eliminating the chariots and the war horses and the battle bow, and he's proclaiming peace to the nations and extending this to from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So peace. We know Jesus to be a prince of peace, to be the prince of peace. And here in this wonderful demonstration on Palm Sunday, Jesus riding on a donkey. Now that's a very humble picture to me. Wouldn't you think that maybe Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, would be riding on a war horse? Well, that comes in Revelation. But here he is the Prince of Peace, and he's giving that peace to all of us. And so it goes on in Luke 19 to say this. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Some of them cut palm branches and laid them in the road and began to wave them about, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry. Now, these people alongside the road, what are they doing? They're saying Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. They're celebrating. They're honoring this king, this Messiah. And that's wonderful. But they're honoring and wanting and desiring and begging for an earthly king, a winner over the tyranny and the oppression and the dictatorship of the Roman rule. Now, we know that from other passages of scriptures. The people wanted an earthly king. They were thinking, here's the Messiah. We've heard prophecies. We know from Zechariah. We know from Isaiah. We know from other places that the Messiah is coming and he's going to be our king. And they're wanting an earthly king. Sometimes you and I want earthly kings. But I want to propose to you that even though the people were looking for an earthly king, God had a better idea. God had a better idea because not did he just want to win over tyranny, but God's better idea was to win over death. That's what this is about. That's the peace that Jesus is bringing into our lives. To win over death. Now, yes, all of us physically are going to die. But are we going to die? Or has Jesus taken care of that? Now, you think about it. Yes, 
I am physically going to die. Yes, you are going to die. It's part of the struggle of life. However, I want to remind you of two very powerful scriptures, what God's Word says, and even the second scripture I'll share with you specifically says what Jesus said. And so listen very carefully to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 through 57. It says, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I like the term victory. Remember, God had a better idea. He wanted to win over death, not just over tyranny and human rule. But also, this passage from the 11th chapter of John, this is when Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And Martha encounters Jesus as he gets there a few days after Lazarus has died. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, and please listen very carefully, because Jesus said to her, and Jesus continues to say the very same thing to you and me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Sounds like double talk. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, I want that to sink in. Because Jesus Christ is saying again that you and I, in our belief in him and because he is in our life, that we will never die. Now, he said it very powerfully in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish. That means will not die, but will have eternal life. And so therefore, Jesus Christ is saying over and over that when we believe in him, we will not die. Now, don't miss that. Because that's the hope of eternity. And I'm not saying that. And mankind is not saying that. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will never die. So here is God's better idea. <laughs> yes, it would be wonderful to have winning over tyranny. And all that the, the people of, of Jerusalem were going through in that day. But... It's a much better idea for all of us and all eternity 
for there to be a victory over death. And that's part of Jesus' sermon here on this day. But it goes on there in Luke 19. And it says, as he approached Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop two or three places here and just tell you a couple things. As he approached the city of Jerusalem. Now, from what I understand from doing some research and reading some people that know more about it than I do, Jerusalem became the city of God in about 700 B.C. 700 years before Jesus Christ even came on this earth. Jerusalem was declared the city of God. Now, is Jerusalem still the city of God today? Yes. Is Jerusalem at peace? No. Jerusalem is in turmoil, in war, in attacks, and in chaos. But it's still the city of God. Has been all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it will be the city of God. And it will eventually be the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God in the end days. And so Jerusalem and God have had a love affair for hundreds of years. Now I want you to think about that. Because God has said, Jesus has said, this is my city. This is where I live. This is where my temple will be. And he has said to you and me, related to all this chaos that continues to go on in Jerusalem, what are we to do related to to Jerusalem? We're to pray for Jerusalem. And please, may I ask you, do you, do we? Because that is the city of God. And that's not going to change. In fact, the way it will change, it will become the pure city of God. Absolutely, and hallelujah, and amen. But God has had this love affair going. And so here we see Jesus, and it says, As he approached Jerusalem, and then he saw the city, he wept over it. Now I want you to realize that this word wept, it's not just light tears. It's not just a little emotional upheaval that Jesus had when he saw and thought about the city of Jerusalem. He sobbed. He had gut-wrenching sobs as he wept over this city of God. Now, why in the world was Jesus Christ weeping so deeply over this city? Well, it goes on and it tells us. It says, if you, even you, now I'm going to stop there. Doesn't that sound like a pleading statement from somebody that loves this object of his weeping? Yes, if you, even you, Jesus knows, and he's about to say this, he knows that these people of Jerusalem are not going to accept him. They're not, they're going to rise up and crucify him In five days. And he says. And you even you. If you had only known. This day what would bring you peace. Peace. Remember Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Prince of Peace. Now again. As we think about all this. Please take it personally. 
What about you and me? Do we know what would bring us peace? Because you and I in this world are not at peace. But he says, you, even you, if you had only known this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. This is part of why he's weeping. Because these people were blind. They were blind to the Messiah. They were blind to his presence. They were blind to his gift. They were blind to his salvation. Now, I trust, I hope, I believe that maybe everybody in this room has salvation. If you don't, please talk to me before you leave this building today. But I trust that all of us are believers. We have Christ in our life and we have salvation. But do we have the peace of Jesus Christ? I just want you to think about that. I know. I know people. I know myself. I know that much of our lives, we're not at peace. And so I wonder, are we blind? Or is this peace of Jesus Christ hidden from your eyes and from my eyes? And has Satan even blinded us to the truth? That if we live according to God's ways, according to the presence of Jesus Christ in our life, then we will be at peace. He has promised that. Now he goes on to say, and this is more of his weeping, he said, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Now this is what happened in 70 AD. Uh, this is after Jesus after crucifixion, resurrection. But Rome attacked and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. They did not leave one stone on top of another. And Jesus is prophesying this when he says that they're going to encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. That's enough to weep over. And Jesus is weeping not just for the physical process that's going to take place in 70 AD, but again because these people of Jerusalem are going to die and be destroyed without accepting and knowing the peace of Jesus Christ. And we've already studied, we've already said, I've already said to you, that when you know Jesus Christ, then he says you will never die. But it's up to you and I to accept that gift. So, is this world, are you and I, in your life, are you at peace? I hope so. I want to remind you of one of my favorite verses. John 14, 27. And we're going to go over this again Thursday night when we gather in the upper room. Because the night before he was crucified, Jesus Christ said 
to his disciples 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. But he also says to you and me here today, in John 14, 27, he says, I've got to go, but I'm going to leave with you a parting gift, and it is the gift of my peace. And he said, this world does not know anything about this kind of peace, meaning the world is not going to be at peace, and there's no place in this world where you can find this peace except in Jesus Christ. He said, this is my parting gift of my peace. And then the last phrase of John 14, 27 is just absolutely astounding. Because Jesus said, and with my peace, you do not have to be afraid. Are you aware of that? And I know every person in this room experiences fear. It's a part of our human condition. Now, Jesus said, with his peace, with his gift, with his presence, if, there's got to be an if in here. I'm sorry. But it does not come automatically. If you and I immerse ourselves in that, if you and I believe that, if we live according to that, then there's a peace that will help you, will allow you, he will work with you so that you do not have to be afraid. So I want you to think about that for a moment because this world is full of fears. This world is full of chaos. This world is full of hatred and wars and violence and all sorts of things. But Jesus said, if you will accept my gift, then you do not have to be afraid and there will be peace. Now I have one more thing to, that I got to ask you. Are we living up to our responsibility spread to spread the peace of Jesus Christ? Now, he is the author of peace. But you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, are the agents of peace. We're the ones that, through us, through us being the instruments of peace, we can promote peace, we can spread peace, we can speak peace, we can live peace, we can share peace with each other, we can treat each other peacefully. I'm wondering, and here's the real harsh question. As Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, does he weep today over you and me? Does he weep over his church? Because so much, and I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the church. So much of the time, it is inept. It is self-absorbed. It is divided. And it is not focusing on being the agents of peace that we're to be. We have been given a calling We've been given a command that we are to stand in the presence and in the power and in the reality of Jesus Christ and his gift of peace. And then we're to be agents of that, spreading it wherever we can go, whether it's right next to you right now, 
with your family member, your spouse, your friend, or whether it's your neighbor, or whether it's the community, or whether it's the city, or whether it's the nation, but we are to be, the church is to be, the agents of peace. I just pray that if he's weeping over us, that we will do what's necessary to change his sadness. Please pray for that, the peace of Jesus Christ in your life and in this world. Let's pray, please. Lord Jesus, we stand on the truth of what you say. We listen, we hear, we take in, we abide in that truth. We pray that we would abide in that truth. That we would know that this is your message to us as we come to Palm Sunday, as we come to Resurrection Day next week, as we come to the fact that you are our living Lord and that you promised and you have given, you have offered your gift of peace. And you beg us, you convict us, you teach us, you urge us to receive your gift of peace. And Lord, sometimes I'm so sorry we have to confess. We just said, nope, no thank you, Lord. Don't think I'll take that good gift. And I hate to even say that, but please forgive us. And then help us to be convicted and live in the freedom that comes from your presence and your gift of peace. And help us to share that peace with each other, with our church, with our community, with our world. And help this world, even as you return to us, to finally be at peace. And we worship you and we thank you. And we live according to you. And we pray always in your wonderful and blessed name. Amen.